Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Rank podcast. My name is Dr. Steven Kruger, and I'm here to give you advice for a successful residency match. You've heard a lot of my voice over the last two episodes, so I figured it was time to bring a guest onto the show. As part of this podcast, I want to do a series of episodes where we dive deeper into the various competitive medical specialties. Let's call it Specialty Spotlights. The first person I have for you is an absolute rock star. His name is Dr. Knuckle Singh, and he's a fellow transitional year resident at my program. He's going to be talking about his experience in the ophthalmology match. And he has some pretty great advice. He actually got a master's in biostatistics before coming to medical school. And he did a number of research projects in global health, social epidemiology, and cancer genomics before even coming to medical school. But he'll be the first to tell you that that's not necessarily required for an ophthalmology applicant. He applied to about 50 ophthalmology programs, which is on the low side. The average is probably somewhere around 70 out of the 112 total ophthalmology programs. Of those 50 programs, he was offered 19 interviews and went on 14 of them, obviously due to logistics and scheduling, etc. He ranked 14 programs and he matched at his number one choice. So for all you ophthalmology applicants, or even those considering the field, he's the guy you want to listen to. So let's get this started. I am here with a very special guest, Dr. Knuckle Singh, who's our first guest on the podcast. And he's going to share with us a little bit about his experience with the ophthalmology match. So thank you so much for being here, Knuckle, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's a Pleasure and an honor to be the first guest on such an esteemed show. Okay, awesome. So I want to start, we'll definitely jump into ophthalmology, but I want to start just by uh, having you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, where have you gone to school, where did you match, and maybe what made you choose medicine as a career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and for college I went to the University of Chicago where I studied biology. After that, I didn't know if I wanted to do a PhD, potentially in statistical genetics, or if I wanted to go into medical school. So I did a master's in biostatistics at the Harvard School of Public Health. Um, I was there for two years, and during that time I realized it wasn't medicine was indeed what I wanted to do, and so I applied for medical school my second year. Uh, I got into Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine, which is also in Cleveland, Ohio. So it was lovely going back home. Um, After that, I kind of went through med school, and I can talk more about what drew me to ophthalmology, but I ultimately ended up uh, ranking and matching at my number one choice, which was the Massachusetts Ioneer Infirmary for ophthalmology. And I ranked Cambridge Health Alliance transitional year program number one as well, which is where I met you, Stephen. That's perfect. So um, tell us just right off the bat, what drew you to ophthalmology? When did you choose ophthalmology as a specialty throughout medical school? And anything else you can say about that? 
So what drew me to ophthalmology? So full disclosure, uh, my parents are ophthalmologists. And for the longest time, I fought it. I didn't want to do what my parents did. I thought it was the easy way out of making a decision of what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, but as I went through my third year rotations during med school, I realized like I liked a lot of things of each rotation. I liked um, taking care of kids and peds. I liked the physical exam and doing procedures and surgery. I liked, um, I liked the kind of longitudinal care that I saw in family medicine and internal medicine. Um, and so when it came time to deciding a single specialty, uh, what ended up coming to mind was ophthalmology because I was able to tie all those things together. Uh, I was able to treat kids, you treat old people, you do procedures where you can definitively cure something, but you also get to think about quality of life and helping people um, like regain function and, and enjoy life. And so that's, those are the kinds of problems that I really enjoyed solving. Um, not to mention, I, believe, I think visual science is fascinating. The eye is a fascinating system. And it just so happened, yeah, and so that's what drew me to ophthalmology. I decided pretty late in med school. I decided, I'd say, like, early middle of third year um, to okay. apply. Okay. And, and did you feel like you had enough time at that point in third year to still do the application justice and match successfully? I did, and I think that was because I had, until that point, um, had tried to figure out what I wanted to do pretty early on. So I was pretty busy my first few years. I was active in research. I did research in neonatology. I did some in public health and social epidemiology. Uh, and I think because I was busy... Um, I had a strong application that was able to be deployed in any in in the field of my choosing. That so ended up happening to be ophthalmology. Does, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I think that's a great piece of advice in general for med students applying into any of the competitive specialties. Work from an early point in med school to really diversify your activities and be able to apply into any number of specialties, especially when you don't know what you're going to end up going into. Yeah, and the advice I heard that I took to heart pretty early on was if you're deciding between two specialties and one is more competitive than the other, always shoot and plan like you're going for the more competitive one because it's a lot easier to change your goals later on than to um, ramp it up. And so, you know, you could say ophthalmology was always kind of in my differential, so I had... Um, been preparing to apply for a competitive specialty, but, and so when I did decide mid to, uh, early to mid third year, I was in a good position to do that. Okay, great. So Knuckle, I understand that you have a certain approach that you like to take when advising medical students who are interested in ophthalmology. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little more about that. Yeah. So I structure my advice and kind of my guidance based off of the application itself. So the application is made up of certain known components. So first is your demographics, including where you went to medical school, uh, your step one score, your clinical grades, your research activities, your personal statement, 
your letters of recommendation, and finally, uh, the secret ingredient, which is your interests and hobbies. So let me kind of break it, break those different things down. So uh, for medical school, um, one concern people might have is if they went to like a fancy, prestigious medical school or middle-of-the-road medical school, and does that matter for matching an ophthalmology? And the answer is no, it does not. Program directors are looking for people who will do well at their program, and they know that talent is at every medical school, as is not talent is at very good medical schools. So do not be concerned about that. That is no barrier to your success in the match process. The next component is step one. There's a lot of anxiety people have about step one scores and like, oh, oh man, do I need like a 260, 265? The answer is no. The way program directors use step one scores, even at the very prestigious programs, is they use it as a screening method. And specifically, the highest score I've heard of that they use as a cutoff is about 230. So say if you want to have a comfortable margin, all you need to do is score above 235, 240 if you really want to go for it. Above that is doesn't really do much for you. Um, all you have to do is score above 235, 240. If you don't match at off, in ophthalmology and you have a score above 240, it's not because your step score was not high enough. Okay. For grades, at my medical school, there were seven grades that you got. It was internal medicine, surgery, pediatrics, ob family medicine, neurology, and psychiatry. Mm. What I've heard is, obviously, the more honors, the better. Ideally, everybody has full honors. That was certainly not the case with me. Um, what I found and what I've heard from many program directors since that time, um, if you say, for example, you have seven uh, grades, at least five of them should be honors. And program directors focus their attention on the three core clerkships, which is medicine, surgery, and pediatrics. Ideally, you would get honors in all those three, and then the rest of them kind of don't matter. Um, but at least two out of three of those is necessary for um, getting an interview. Okay, so just to be sure, the three main ones to be most concerned about are which three? Surgery, medicine, pediatrics. Okay. Um, maybe concern is not the right word, but these are considered the core clerkships. Okay. Um, that will that program directors look to predict performance in residency. For research activities, once again, there's a lot of anxiety about how many publications is enough first author versus second author. Program directors know, they know getting a publication is a very long, arduous, labor-intensive process. They do not have absurd uh, expectations. When thinking about research output, a high level of achievement would be to have two first author publications in any journal. Um, If it's in ophthalmology, all the better. Program directors understand that people sometimes come to ophthalmology later in medical school, and so it's okay if your projects are in something else. I'd say at least one first author is very good, and then the two or three second authors kind of replaces a first author. But if you do that, you are in the top 5% of applicants. And I think that is something that's pretty doable to do, 
given the given the length of medical school. So, talk more about the misconceptions out there about research. So I think a lot of people have misconceptions like, oh, you need to be first author and presenting on double-digit publications. It's absolutely not true at all. Um, like I mentioned, say two publications, first author, it will put you in the top 5%. That demonstrates um, a long commitment to research and focusing on academic medicine, which is something that um, all these academic medical centers are looking for. Now, I know you did a lot of research before medical school, which was somewhat unique. Uh, I'm curious, did you talk a lot about that during interviews? Do they typically ask about your research projects? So I'd say a few places did ask me about uh, a few research projects just to kind of kick the tires to see what indeed I contributed to these projects. So I guess that's a piece of advice for all the people out there is really know what the project is about, the main findings, and be able to articulate your contribution to it. There's nothing more humiliating than being asked a question about a research project that you say you're an author and you're unable to answer it. Not that that's happened to me, but I've heard about such a thing happening and like you're automatically not ranked at that program. I I think that's a great piece of advice. Devastating. Um, And... What we ended up did talking about in my interviews, I'll, I'll talk about later, which, which may surprise you. Okay. So then the, another component of the application is the personal statement. So 95% of these are fine. 2% are phenomenal and will change a person's mind about you. 3% are so poorly written, they will disqualify you from consideration. Just aim for that middle 95%. It does not have to be a Pulitzer Prize winning essay about why ophthalmology is the most divine medical specialty of all. Just what got you interested, how you know, and your goals for a career in ophthalmology. Don't overthink it. Okay, so this is good to know, right? Because this is different from maybe medical school personal statements or undergrad personal statements where they might mean a lot more to the admissions committee. Yeah, and there are only so many personal statements that can be written about ophthalmology, and they've all been done by now. Okay, I think that point is well taken. The next component I want to talk about is letters of recommendation. You will need three letters of recommendation for ophthalmology. I would recommend one being someone from your core clerkships, one of those medicine, surgery, Um, pediatrics who can speak to your ability to do a good job on a rotation that you might not necessarily want to do forever. Program directors really appreciate that. And then two of your letters should be from ophthalmologists. A lot of things, a lot of concerns I've heard people have is about weighing how well somebody knows you versus this person's prestige in the community in the ophthalmology community. And to which I say, get somebody with a lot of prestige in the community to know you very well. The letter of recommendation, they should be able to talk about you in many different contexts. They should be able to talk about you clinically, like so you've shadowed them in clinic. They should ideally be able to talk about your research that you've worked with them or projects that you've worked with them. Um, And perhaps just some sort of 
personal relationship you may have with them um, that you've asked them, you've talked to them about advising or career goals or, um, or what have you. So in that way that they can really talk about your whole candidacy. Okay, so a couple things about that. One, I totally agree with you when you say find someone with some prestige that also knows you very well. I've heard totally different opinions on that. Some people saying don't worry about the prestige, just worry about somebody that knows you well. And I do worry that that letter of recommendation really won't have as much weight as somebody else's, and you would agree with that? So the letter of recommendation is not just a letter of recommendation, if that makes sense. Let me say more about that. A letter of recommendation is a kind of formal document documentation of a relationship you've had with a mentor in ophthalmology. And a kind of a prestigious person writing a lukewarm endorsement doesn't carry much weight. But somebody who is willing to say this person is, um, they are very diligent, they care deeply, they work hard, they are polite, people like them, they are funny. Um, That demonstrates that they know you very well. And then keep in mind, the application process is not so rigid as to just be an application you send electronically. There's a social component, too. You can very... um, and we, this is kind of more advanced advising, but if you really want to go to a program, you can ask a letter writer to email a program director and tell them this person is really interested. And that could facilitate an interview invite. Um, so in that way, I'd say get the person who knows you better and can, who is willing to make a phone call on your behalf. And go the extra mile. Specifically... Not just go the, like, not in this vague sense of go the extra mile, like literally be willing to pick up a phone, call up a stranger, and say, yes, I can say this person should go to your residency program, whoever that person may be. Obviously, it helps if this person is like a big deal and everybody knows who this person is, and they're a great writer, blah, 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 but you want somebody who can pick up that phone. Pick up that phone. Who can literally pick up a phone. And then another question about that, when you're on an ophthalmology elective, are you able to do clinical activities like taking a history, presenting a patient that a future letter writer could evaluate you on? It varies from rotation to rotation. I'd say a dirty secret about ophthalmology away rotations is... um, they don't expect you to have much ophthalmology knowledge. What they expect you to do is demonstrate enthusiasm for ophthalmology. That requires, this is kind of a side topic, but for your ophthalmology rotation, you should every day go through every patient you will see that day, go through their chart, figure out why they're coming in, and read about it. And then you write that on a note card and then you periodically pull out that note card somewhat conspicuously so that the person who is precepting that session sees how interested and enthusiastic you are. That's amazing, and very few people actually do this stuff, and it's maybe a little bit more work you know, the night before clinic, but it's totally worth it. That stuff gets noticed, so I totally agree with you. Dude, you are... 
you are spending your time, you're spending extra money to like do an away rotation, you might as well get a get something out of it. Um, and another thing I like to say is because they don't really evaluate you, they can't really evaluate you on your knowledge. It's just kind of this enthusiasm. Another component that ends up mattering a lot is like if you can hang. And by that I mean there's going to be a lot of downtime in clinic and the attending's going to turn to you and they're going to just ask you a question just to see, just to pass the time. And if it is a fun thing to talk to you, your letter will reflect that. And that is a quality that is not to be taken lightly. That is a... Um, people, people, want, uh, people want to work with somebody that can make the day go by easier. Yeah, once again, totally agree with you. Uh, this is very true of dermatology, too, and hour-away rotations. Not a very high bar in terms of how much knowledge they expect you to come to the rotation with. But it's your enthusiasm and your ability to hang, as you say, that that gets you there. Yeah. So finally, the component of the application that I feel a lot of people underutilize is the interests and hobbies section. So a lot of people will say the same thing. They'll say, oh, I like cooking. Oh, I like running. Oh, I like traveling. Yeah, everybody likes doing those things. What people are really... You keep in mind the people who are interviewing people. They are interviewing 60 people who are wearing pretty much the exact same clothing, who've done very similar things, and they're just looking for a 20-minute a conversation where they can have fun. And so in my interest and hobby section, I was very specific about my interests, which I, uh, I spent time developing during the course of medical school. So Sometimes let's hear Sometimes to the detriment of studying. <laughs> um, and so, for example, one of my interests is the textiles of India. Or I put the science of cooking, not just cooking. Or I put conceptual art. Or I put data visualization. These are kind of weird, unusual things to put as hobbies. But the moment people saw them, they would, they would immediately gravitate to, why would you say you're interested in textiles of India? I'd say a good 70% of my interviews, I'd say the majority of those times was spent talking about Indian textiles. Really? Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And by the end of it, I had this little bit uh, going. And it was like, it was fun to talk about. People really wanted to hear about, um, they wanted to hear something new. They wanted to hear something different. They want to hear that you're a person behind the this like list of, achievements that you've so dryly listed that's incredible and i bet for those you know interview committees you became the textile guy or the indian textile guy yeah and um and when they're ranking people they they have to remember who you are and if your conversation was distinctive either good or bad they're going to remember and that will guide where you go on that list. It's a great point that it's almost a way to influence the way the interview is is going to head. Absolutely. By the second or third interview you go on, you know, I'd say 95% of the questions you're going to be asked just based off of the patterns that you've been 
observing so far. And by making your interests and hobbies so irresistible to the interviewer, <laughs> you can guide the discussion. Um, you know, it is a way to, to guide the discussion beforehand. That is genius. So while we're talking about that, can you talk a little bit about what ophthalmology interviews are like? How do they run? How long do they last? Yeah, so interviews uh, usually happen over uh, half a day to a full day. You have a tour of the facilities that you'll usually be working at. Um, You will meet some residents at mealtimes, at kind of the times in between interviews. And then the uh, interviews themselves range from three to seven stations, each uh, having between one and I've had as many as seven people in an interview. Wow. And they last between 10 and 20 minutes. Um, The tone is generally very polite, professional, friendly. Um, Only rarely did I feel like I was being grilled. And I think that kind of being grilled is rare. And I think a lot of programs try not to do it and try not to have people doing that because they know that turns off a lot of millennial applicants. Yes, myself included. Yeah, and and myself included. I know I definitely it affected how I ranked places based on how I felt I would be treated. Going into an interview, there's you should presume that they'll be friendly, cordial, and just Honestly, trying to get to know you in that 10 to 20-minute period. Okay. And then how did you go about setting up your rank list after interviews were over? Yeah, so I was very methodical about that. I had five categories, something including... Okay, so taking a step back. I have a fairly radical way of choosing a residency program. I think the residency program itself should only count for half the points. I think you should also consider that where that program is and how it fits into your broader life. I think that should have about half, of, half the weight. Because I think if you're unhappy outside of residency, there's no way you're going to be happy inside of residency. And being happy inside of residency is not enough to... To, to sustain you as a human being. So I would argue the program itself should only count for half Interesting. Of, of how you rank things. You will not hear many people describe that. Um, so the things that I evaluated were like what I thought was strength of clinical training. Um, I, my interests are in um, informatics and potentially biotechnology. So I wanted to go to a place that had a lot of that encouraged uh, academic ophthalmology. I also considered the city, and if it, the city is a place that I wanted to be. Um, those are the main things. I'm forgetting the other ones. And then I also added bonus points here and there based off proximity to family. And so I know Mass Ioneer got a lot of points because my brother lives here. And so that was very important to me, and I'm very happy that I rank mass eye near so high because I get to spend time with my brother. Okay, great. I think that makes a lot of sense. Perfect. 
So obviously, Knuckle, you had to go through the prelim application process as well. I understand that might be changing with ophthalmology. Yeah, so starting in 2020, um, all ophthalmology residency programs have to have an integrated prelim year. And they and part of applying to the ophthalmology program, they will tell you where you do your prelim rotations. Wow. So it sounds like that'll alleviate a lot of the stress of that extra application cycle. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You reduce on travel. There's not this whole... Yeah, it, it removes a lot of the stress of that, and you only move. You end up only moving once, at most once, which is huge. Which is huge versus potentially moving twice, which is horrible. Right. Um, and yeah, and I think it also offers benefits because the people designing your prelim program are the same people designing your residency, so you will have more ophthalmology exposure during your first year, and they will also structure your kind of medicine, surgery, ED rotations to give you a better background for ophthalmology. So I know, like, for example, Iowa, which has an integrated prelim year, they do, a rotation in, they do rotations in infectious disease, in rheumatology, um, which has more relevance for ophthalmologists than, say, cardiac critical care. Right. So that... Sounds amazing. I personally hope that more advanced specialties start moving towards that model, but who knows what that will look like in the future. So I just wanted to wrap up by asking you, in general, what type of person do you think fits well in a career in ophthalmology? So the stereotype of ophthalmologists is that they're very nice and neat and polite people and they are pretty aggressively happy with their decision to do ophthalmology. Um, There's a very high satisfaction with changing people's quality of life but also with valuing the work-life balance and I think it attracts a lot of people because people want they want the best parts of medicine but they also want to be able to go home at the end of the day and ophthalmology offers that. So thank you so much, Knuckle. This has been so helpful. I learned so much about ophthalmology. I hope our listeners learned a ton about this specialty too. Are there any final comments you have for medical students, other listeners out there who may be considering a career in optho? Yeah, so one reference that I found to be of invaluable help was uh, the University of Iowa um, a resident there put out a Iowa guide to ophthalmology residency, and they went in even more detail about the different steps of ophthalmology, going through year by year what you what goalposts and milestones you should be hitting to have a strong candidacy in ophthalmology. It is a phenomenal resource, and you can just find it online by typing in Iowa guide ophthalmology. Okay, great. So anybody listening should definitely look into that resource. It sounds incredible. Well, thank you so much, Knuckle. I totally appreciate you being on the show, and uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Stephen. It's been a pleasure. All right. And there you have it. I hope you found that conversation as enlightening as I did. Knuckle has great advice, not only for the ophthalmology applicant, but for anyone trying to get into a competitive medical specialty. Now, one thing we didn't touch on 
which is pretty unique to ophthalmology, is the early match. I reached out again to Knuckle after the interview, just to really pick his brain about the early match. And here was his response. He says, In ophthalmology, you submit your application in early August, which is about a month before the regular ERAS deadline, and you find out where you matched in January. Because of this early timeline, you want to prioritize the ophthalmology rotations where you can get a good letter at least one to two months before August. And then you can prioritize away rotations later, like in August or September. So I just wanted to put that out there because I do know it's a unique thing to ophthalmology applicants, so I wanted to make sure we touched on that point as well. Well, that's all I have today. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you coming back for another episode with me. As always, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions for new episodes, please reach out to me at steven at roadtorank.com. You can find show notes and lots of other great information on my website, www.roadtorank.com. I would also really appreciate a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts just to help other medical students around the country discover the advice within this show. Okay, my friends, looking forward to seeing you back for the next episode.